0: The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. So in order to understand this, we need to understand a little bit of context. Here's what's going on in this passage. James is acting like an Old Testament prophet. You think about the prophets, uh, the, you know, the minor prophets, what they would do is they would go to Israel and they would yell and say, hey, here's the injustice that's going on here. Weep and wail, God's coming to wreck you for this injustice. And so James uses that same kind of language, like almost funeral language, like get ready, something serious is happening. And so in order to understand why this is so serious, though, we need to understand kind of the baseline that James is operating out of before we look at James. So the prophet Micah has a really popular uh, verse that we all know, Micah 6.8. What does God require of you? So whenever, whenever Scripture says something like that, we need to really pay attention. Okay, what, what does God want for me? What, what's my life supposed to look like? This is, this is the baseline for all the prophets. Hey, what's your life supposed to look like? What does Micah say? You guys know it. Do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. So if we're going to be followers of God, this is what that looks like, to do justice to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. Now need to, I'm gonna unpack that and then we're gonna to go to James. So I think when a lot of us hear this idea of justice, you may get like an image in your mind like of just right and wrong, kind of like the people's court. Like, oh, you stole my mailbox. I'm gonna get justice on you. And that's definitely part of justice. There's definitely a, a, a leg on the chair of justice that is right and wrong. However, when... Um, when the Old Testament uses the word justice, they're not just talking about punishing right and wrong. They're talking about treating people in ways they deserve. And that's talking about in light of a good thing. So scripture is clear. Man is made in the image of God. And when we don't treat them like they're in the image of God, we're not giving them justice. Justice. You can see this really clearly. The word for justice, the same word that Micah uses, is picked up uh, in the book of Deuteronomy. So in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses is giving all these instructions for the people. He says, Hey, you guys need to tithe so that you can give money to the priests so that they can have their justice. So what Micah is saying here is if you're gonna be a people of God, this is the action. Justice, treating people in right ways, not just punishing evil, but loving good, loving people, doing things for the common good, not just yourself. That's the action, but he gets at the heart attitude there too. Love, mercy. I think when we hear that, we think mercy and justice, oh, those are really similar things. They're not. The word for mercy is chesed. Everybody say that? Chesed. You gotta get really deep there. Chesed. Hello. That word hesed is all over the Old Testament, and we translate that idea to mean grace. So this is it it right here. This is the linchpin. This is what Micah is saying. Micah is saying this. If you're going to be God's people, you need to love grace. Not just like, oh yeah, I know about grace. God is a gracious God. He's really nice. No, no, no. You need to have this heart attitude that stands before God and says, hey, I see my unworthiness. I see that I've sinned, and that sin deserves consequences. But you didn't give me those consequences. You showered me with grace, and I love that grace. And then this is what Mike is saying. Out of an attitude that loves grace, justice flows out. See that right there? Justice isn't just good actions. Justice is the fruit of a heart attitude. Justice is the byproduct of loving God's grace. That's where we're going today with James. James wants us to be familiar with, he wants to fan the flames of your love for grace so that you just naturally act in just ways. Okay? And I think this is so crucial and so relevant for us as a community. Why? This is a room that is full of artists and entrepreneurs. And... You guys are artists and entrepreneurs who take risks. How do I know you take risks? there's like four people in this room who are actually from Burbank. Like everybody else, all you guys, you packed up your stuff and you moved here. That's a huge risk. And so I want to help you see what does God require of me? When, When we approach the arts, when we approach the marketplace, what does God require of me? Like on Monday morning, what's my life supposed to look like? James is trying to just fan the flame. He doesn't want to throw a wet towel on your drive and your, and your ambitions. What he wants to do is direct those so that we are a people of justice. That's the main point today. The main thing we're trying to get out of this passage is this. Cultivate your relationship with Jesus so that you are a people of justice. Okay? So that's the box we're thinking in. All right? So hold on to that. Keep your arms and legs inside at all times because we're going to read this now and you're going to be like, that, that doesn't sound like what you just said. It is, all right? I'm going to show you. And, and you guys, I really believe if we take this passage at its word seriously, I think it has the ability to fan the flame of both artists and entrepreneurs in here. All right? So here we go. You guys ready? Ready. All right. James 5, verse 1 now listen you rich people weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes your gold and silver are corroded their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire you have hoarded wealth in the last days look The wages you failed to pay, the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Woo! All right. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to head into this, all right? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your word's power, that your word can transform us. So God, I pray today that you would help us to see what it means to be a people of justice, what it means to live in our city, live in our vocations as people who love grace who, who capt- are captivated by the mercy of God toward undeserving, der- undeserving sinners and then live lives of justice God I pray that we would capture this vision today and that vision would apply to the arts pray the artists in here would know how they're supposed to approach their their calling I pray for the business people in here people in the marketplace that they wouldn't feel like they're some kind of sub Godly class of people, but they would see that what they're doing as business people is actually p- fulfilling your work in the world. We love you, Lord. We submit ourselves to your, your word. Let it change us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I told you guys, I warned you up front, when you first read this, it feels really harsh. And uh, my old pastor, Tim Chaddock, when he was preaching through this, he gave like a really helpful illustration that I can't add to, so I'm just taking. Thank you, Tim. <laughs> So, uh, during World War II, Winston Churchill would often address the Allied forces. He would often give these speeches to people and rousing them up, trying to say, hey, the war's not over. Here, here's what we're fighting for. And during those speeches, though, he would often address Nazis directly. He would speak to them. He'd speak to Adolf, and he'd tell them just what he thinks about what they're doing. Now, did Winston Churchill think Nazis were listening to his speeches? No. No. What he wanted to do was he wanted his audience to hear the intensity of just what it looks like when you love something and someone stands against that. that's exactly what James is doing right here. James isn't yelling at his readers. Like, I want you guys to, like, just take a deep breath. Like, nobody in this room is getting yelled at this morning by James. James wants us all to overhear a conversation. He wants us to overhear a conversation between him and these rich people who are actually oppressing his readers okay? That, there's sometimes when we read the Bible, we just like open and point, and we read it, and then we try to apply it to our lives. Like if you do that, that's just a great way to burn yourself out and be frustrated. So like, context is helpful. The context of this passage is James is not yelling at his readers. He's not yelling at you, but he wants you to see him yell at somebody. He wants, why? This is, this is why. There, there's a sharp edge to God's love, and James wants you to feel that. If we're going to be a people of justice, the first thing we need to do is feel how seriously God takes justice. We need to feel it. That's the first thing James is trying to do. By everything he's saying, the harshness of his language, he wants you to feel, hey, God loves poor people. God loves, like all throughout the Old Testament, it talks about how God loves the immigrant, the fatherless, those who can't defend themselves, the elderly. It's all throughout the Old Testament. It's even in the book of James. Pure and undefiled religion is this, to care for widows and orphans. It's also in chapter 2 when he talks about, hey, don't, don't treat poor people badly to make yourselves look good for rich people. So James has said, and other writers of scripture have said, hey, God really, really, really cares about poor people. And now these poor people are being oppressed. And imagine if God was like, okay, that's fine. Like, I mean, I wish you wouldn't do that, but that's fine. no. With the intensity of this language, God is saying, I really love these people, and you are treating them badly. That's the sharp edge of love. Justice really is an extension of God's love. We can believe God when he says that he loves poor people because he is mad that they are being abused. He's mad. How are they being abused? These rich people who have a ton of stuff. It says here, they're, they're hiring these poor people to mow their lawns, and then they don't pay them. Not because, they don't pay them because they don't have enough. They don't pay them because they want to hoard more stuff. And James says, enough is enough. This is the flip side. He wants us to see, hey, we need to be a, a culture that, is a, that we love justice, but you need to see the flip side of this when there's injustice. See, there are, there are culture shapers out there all over the place. You see, a lot like 10 years ago, it was really popular for evangelicals to talk about wanting to engage the culture. And that's great. I'm all for that. But there's also something you also need to see right here. James is saying, hey, you're being engaged by the culture. The culture, culture is engaging you. Like, you, you're not coming into this just empty handed. And he's saying, hey, these people are abusing you. The people who are shaping culture, these business people, they're doing it for injustice. And that should make you mad. It makes God really upset. And this totally flies in the face of Hippie Jesus. You've heard of Hippie Jesus. He hands out almonds from the bulk bin of the back of his VW bus. He just wants to give everybody stickers and tell you how wonderful you are and don't judge. All of a sudden, it's like, wait, this doesn't sound like hippie Jesus. Like, There's a sharp edge to God's love. And we shouldn't be embarrassed by that as well. When you love something and it's threatened and you act, there's nothing to be ashamed of about that. It's not popular at all to talk about God's justice. But we need to see as a people that God's justice flows out of his love. His love for these people is so intense, he is willing to shout out against it. And just to be clear, just to be clear, God is not condemning just being rich. I hope you guys understand that as, you, as we've read through this passage. It's not wrong at all to be rich. What God is condemning here is people who've made their profit on the backs of injustice. Like I said, they, they, they're not paying them for mowing their fields, but they are still throwing parties on those fields that those people mowed. And James wants you to feel, God hates that. God hates that, not because he's mean or grumpy or angry, but because he loves those people. And if we're going to be people like what Micah said, who walk humbly with our God, part of what it means to walk with God is to love the things that God loves. So that's what James is trying to do with us right now. He's saying, hey, you shouldn't love exploitation because God hates it. You shouldn't. You should love justice. And listen, James actually takes this out to its like fullest logical conclusion. He ends in verse six by saying this. He's talking to these rich people. He says, "You have condemned and murdered the innocent one." Now, I don't think he's talking to like someone who literally murdered someone, but this I think is what he's saying. He's saying, "Hey, rich people, you didn't pay your workers, and then because you didn't pay your workers, they couldn't buy food." And because they couldn't buy food, they didn't eat. And because they didn't eat, they died. And that's your fault. That's what James is saying. You see how serious this is? See how serious God takes injustice? There's also a flip side of this, though. See, hippie Jesus can't comfort the oppressed. But James wants to be very clear right now. The cries of the harvesters have reached The ears of the Lord Almighty. The NIV says Lord Almighty, but uh, literally James says the Lord Sabaoth. Now you're like, what? The Lord, what? Sabaoth. It's an old word which means the Lord of hosts. This is God's name, is when God is highlighting how he is king of an army. The cries of the harvest, the cries of the laborers who aren't getting paid have reached God's ears, and he is battle ready to fight for these people. And if we walk with God, how can we not stand for justice? See, that's, that's, that's meant to be an incredible comfort for people who are suffering. When we feel how seriously God takes justice— we, we can go to people who are suffering, who've lost their jobs because they're trying to do the right thing and they get fired, and we can say to them, hey, God cares. Like, when you cry out to him, he hears you, and he will work for justice for you. Maybe not right away, but one day, justice is coming. Don't rob people of that comfort. Hippie Jesus can't comfort someone whose dad just beat them up. He can't. Hippie Jesus can't comfort someone who just lost their job because they were doing the right thing and and tried to be a whistleblower, but instead got, got fired and called a rat. Hippie Jesus can't comfort that person. You know what can? The Lord Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. You have messed with his precious creation, and he hears that. Jesus said this in the Gospel of Matthew, what you've done to the least of these, you've done to me. And James wants us to overhear this conversation, so we're starting like, "Whoa, let's not mess with what God loves." So now that you feel how seriously God takes just injustice, maybe you're asking like, "Well, where does all this injustice come from? Like, where where is Pastor James taking us? Like, what, what's he talking about?" This is the second thing we need to do. We need to see the cause of injustice, the cause of injustice, and that's found in verses 2 and 3. So what James is saying here is this. If you really want to be a people of, of justice, a community that, that is shaped by grace and living in the world with justice, you need to see its cause. Injustice isn't simply about adjusting attitudes. It's not about, oh, like, it wasn't nice to pay your workers. We'll just pay them, all right? Now you're just. No. Injustice stems out of a heart attitude. It's, it's all about misplaced security. That's what James wants you to see. Injustice comes from misplaced security. And that's in verses 2 and 3. Listen to this. Your wealth has rotted, moths have eaten your clothes, your gold and silver are corroded, their corrosion will testify against you. Now, that passage sounds vaguely familiar. Moths have eaten your clothes. What James is doing here is he's quoting Jesus. He's quoting Jesus from his Sermon on the Mount. This is in Matthew 6. I want you to hear the passage that James is quoting because he's saying you haven't obeyed this passage, and because you haven't obeyed it, injustice comes out of that. So this is what James is saying in Matthew 6. I'm in verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, which is what James said these people did. They stored up treasures, where moths, hear that? Moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, Where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Skip down to verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either one will hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. So James, by telling people that they're, they've stored up this treasure and now it's eaten by moths, he's trying to remind them of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is talking about how our attitude toward money should be. And he's saying, hey, because you don't have that attitude over there, you're acting in injustice. And it may not happen right away. It's a slippery slope to injustice. But when you put your confidence and your trust in money, you're taking one step away from justice and one step toward injustice. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, hey, put your treasure in heaven. Don't treasure stuff here. When you treasure stuff here, you try to act in ways just to hold on to that stuff here. When money becomes your bottom line, it starts to shape your priorities. When all you're concerned about is profit, it makes sense to have a, a, a business where you just do payday loans and charge people a crazy amount of money. You don't care about their well-being. You just want to make money. Why? Because money makes you secure. If you have lots of money, you're fine. You know, you know like your house will be paid for, you know your kids will get into a good college, you know you can have a purple Tesla in the driveway. Like you have money, your life is set. But Jesus is saying, "No, no, 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 no." Trust me. Trust me not money. So the first step, if we want to be a people that love justice, is to trust Christ. You see, we've seen that trusting money takes us toward injustice, but trusting Christ actually lets you take risks. Jesus says in this passage, I'm going to provide for you. He says, look at the lilies of the field. They don't work, yet they they're clothed in splendor. Trust me. Trust me, that lets you take amazing risks. Do you know where bad sequels come from? <laughs> bad sequels come from people who trust money. It, you just throw a number two on something, and you just an easy way to just, it's a cash cow. Bad art is a fruit of a heart that doesn't trust God. I am not going to go see the new Avengers. I'm not. <laughs> Just kidding. I will. <laughs> this is what he's saying though. This is what CS Lewis said it like this. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. That's what James is trying to help his his audience see. It's like, "Hey, these people, they lived for the bottom line. And now what does their money do for them? Nothing." It actually is just testifying against them. Like these people were like, I just need all this money, then maybe I'll be generous, but I just need all this money. And then they're not generous and they stand before Jesus and he's like, hey, why didn't you live a life of justice? Look at all that money you had. See, isn't that, it's ironic. The term in literature for this is ironic retaliation. Thank you. It's ironic. You see, they're like, oh, this is the thing that's gonna keep me safe. More money, more comfort. Actually, it's the thing that stands against you cries out against you. Money talks. What does your money say? Does your money say, yeah, I'm willing to take risks. You know, it doesn't make sense right now for me to be generous. It doesn't. I don't have a lot of money. But you know what? God said he'd provide. So I'm going to be generous. You see, what Lewis was saying was he was really just paraphrasing Jesus at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said it like this. Seek first the kingdom of God And his righteousness, which is another big component of justice, and all these things will be added unto you. If you're trying to make money the bottom line, you'll never have enough. Not only will you never have enough, it's going to be used against you one day when you stand before Jesus. But if you trust Jesus, you don't make bad sequels. You don't open up payday loans You do risky and good things with your life for the common good. All right. So now that we feel how God feels about justice and we see what the root cause of it is, James wants us right now to confidently and courageously hear the call to be a people of justice. That's where all of this has been working to up until this point. James wants you to see the negative side of things. Jesus puts it positively in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, hey, trust me and your life is going to be fine. These people said, I don't want to trust you. And it led to all this injustice. And James just wants you to see the flip side of it. He's saying it negatively. James must not have gone to seminaries because most seminaries teach you don't say things negatively. And we just had to do that though. All right, so this is what James has been trying to get at the whole time. James says this, The cries of the workers have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. And he's saying that. He wants you to overhear this conversation. And the natural question, because of what Micah laid laid that foundation for us, if we're walking humbly with God, we love his grace that shapes us and that causes us to act justly, if we're doing that and we're walking with God, we're loving the things he loves... If he hears the cries of the workers, do we hear it? Do we hear the cries of the workers? How do we, as artists and entrepreneurs, I'm not an artist. That just sounded like I was an artist. I'm the least artistic person in this room. But how do we, as artists and entrepreneurs, live out our callings while being people of justice? Well, Like I said, I am not an artist, but there's an artist and theologian named Mike Cosper who I think just says this really beautifully. So this is Mike Cosper talking about how to be a good artist. This is what he says. Rather than worrying about making good, quote, Christian art, Christian artists should worry about being good artists and good Christians. By good Christian, I simply mean that one should be committed to a path of discipleship and a life of ever deeper love for God and neighbor. By good artist, I mean that one should be committed to the disciplines of an artist, developing and deepening skills, learning from those who have gone on before you, and showing up to do your creative work. These two paths will intersect and inform one another, but they're not dependent on each other. One doesn't need to be a good artist to be a good Christian, and likewise, one doesn't need to be a good Christian to be a good artist. This is cool. What is rare and glorious, though, is when both qualities, deep faith and deep skill, emerge in the same person, one with a profound sense of God's kingdom among us, who also possesses an immense set of skills as an artist, can give the world profound gifts, and this just might be what the world needs most. You see, Christian artists have a way of saying things that pastors don't. Art sneaks up on you. Like, I've never really been an animal lover at all in my life, but Amy and I watched this beautiful documentary about dolphins, and at the end of the movie, I'm like, the dolphins! Like, they're so beautiful! We need to help the dolphins, Amy! Let's just help the dolphins. But if, if the makers of this movie came up to me on the street and were like, hey, you need to help the dolphins, I'm like, all right, thank you. No thank you. But art snuck up on me, got in through the back door. See, pastors used to enjoy kind of this place as like a cultural prophet in America in like the early 1900s, like maybe 1980. They've lost that, though, and some of them did not lose it gracefully but you know who replaced them? You know who the new cultural prophet is? Artists. You have a way of speaking to people that we won't. Are you gonna create art that stirs up in people a a wonder for God, curiosity about this world, or are you gonna create art that's just profiteering? Like, well, this isn't good, but we'll make a lot of money. James is saying if we're gonna be a people of justice, When we approach the arts, we need to take our walk with God seriously. We need to cultivate that grace. And then when we just approach our skills and our crafts, it's going to be good. Justice is a byproduct of a good walk with God, an understanding of grace. You can't can't flip it around. If you flip it around, you'll miss it. You just end up shaming people. What about entrepreneurs? What about the business people in this world? I have a little confession to make. When um, after after Bible college and before seminary, Amy and I took a couple years off because we we're just, I don't know what we want to do. Let's just let's just like hang out for a while. It was awesome. It was the greatest. We had no kids. We were just working. It was great. And in that season, I was working at a credit union as a loan officer. And I was pretty good at it. Like I uh, was able to just like chit-chat with people, and when you chit-chat with people, you get get them to buy stuff. It was awesome. And um, so I was I was pretty good at it, and I went through a season of like, I don't I don't know what I want to do. Like, do I want to do this? And I, I realized as I was wrestling through that, I had this realization about, and this is what I came to. I grew up in a setting where the godly people went into full-time ministry. So you became pastors, you became missionaries. And then the kind of godly people just like worked and just financially supported them. Because we need, we need money, so just kind of godly people, give us your money. And I, realized, I had that torn down as I was working at the credit union. I was like, I think I could do this. I like this. And it was actually, don't worry, I'm, this is not how I'm like giving you my letter of resignation or something. Like I, <laughs> in that time, God wonderfully called me to ministry and I'm using my gifts and calling. I feel like I was made to do this. I love pastoring you guys. But, I think I want to, for you business people out there, I want to break down this idea, this division between the sacred and the secular. That, well, yeah, God calls people in the full-time ministry and business people just support that. Yeah, right. That's so stupid. Like, this is the creation mandate. Fill the earth, be fruitful, and multiply. When When you are using your skills as an entrepreneur, when you're using your skills in your business, you are fulfilling the creation mandate. That's not a small deal. I don't want you to think that because you have drive, because you have desire, because you have abilities, that all that's somehow less godly. No, no, no. God has given you those things, and it's kind of like, anybody seen Chariots of Fire? Da, 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 da. Awful movie, but there's a great... I'm going to get so many emails after this, I'm sorry. There's a great line in that movie, though, and that redeems the movie. So... Eric Liddell, uh, he's running, and he ran like a goofball, like me. And he just, like, he's running, and he smiles. And somebody asks him, like, why do you run like that? He says, I was made to run, and when I run, I feel God's pleasure. That's what business is like. God made you with those skills. Use them. Do business in a just way. Outside of the church of Jesus Christ, there is no more powerful cultural shaper than workers, Like, employment shapes people. This is what my hero, Greg Thornberry, says. Employment lifts the countenance and makes people feel like they're in God's image. He's not saying it makes them in God's image. He says it makes them aware of it. They feel, this is what I was made to work. So if you're an entrepreneur or a business person, if you're in the marketplace, what is the implication of justice for your life? This is it. Launch great businesses and create opportunities for those who don't have them. You can do business in a just way. We were just watching this documentary about a company in Colorado who who caught a vision for justice. So they made this electrical company. Uh, They realized that all the other electrical companies in uh, that area were charging people this outrageous amount of money to do work and they weren't doing a good job. So they said, you know what? We can do that, and we can do a good job with it. That's justice right there. That alone is justice. But they took it a step farther. And they said, you know what? It's really hard to get a job if you're a felon. It's just really hard. You're you're on a blacklist, like literally. So what they did was they created an apprenticeship program for people who have felonies to learn skills so they can provide for their families. Guess whose families get transformed when dad is working like that? Guess whose families have, have joy in them when mom is bringing home a paycheck? You can do business in a just way. You don't have to let injustice shape the culture. But to both of you, I would just say this. This is the motivation. Don't be motivated by hostility or a desire to make the world what you want it to be. Be motivated by love. That's the other side of justice. Make good businesses because you Love. Create good art because you love others. Do things for the common good. Not because, like, oh, these people are stupid and they like, they like Avengers, Ace of Ultron, I'll make them a real superhero movie. No. <laughs> love your neighbors and make them good art. that creates wonder. And I just want to say, if you're here today and you're not a believer, maybe all this talk on God makes you a little bit nervous, especially God's justice. Part of what means that God is justice is that God won't call evil good and he won't call good evil. That's justice, that's right. And you're like, you know what? Like, I don't feel very good. Like, I know when I stand before God, I'm not, I'm not good. How does God's justice help me there? Well, I'm glad you asked. At the center of Christianity is a cross. And the cross is the place where God's love and God's justice meet. See, on the cross, God can be just when He calls you righteous, because His son Jesus took the penalty for your sin. Sin is real. Sin has consequences. And God is love, and He won't let those consequences go unpunished. But listen to what Paul says in Romans 3:25 and 26, about how God can be just and forgive sinners. Talking about Jesus, he says this, when God put, uh, put him forward as a sacrifice for sins, to be received by faith, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine patience, he passed over former sins. Now, this was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be the just one and the one who justifies or declares righteous of those who have faith in Jesus. So if you're here today and you're like, I haven't always lived a just life at all, God's justice is the answer. When you put your faith in Jesus, Jesus takes the penalty of your sin, and now there's nothing left to do. So God would actually be wrong if, he, if you believe in Jesus and God's like, I'm still going to punish you. That makes God unjust. But God is a God of justice. So because your faith in Jesus, the penalty of your sin is gone, you are Righteous. It's actually good and right for God to call you righteous. What another amazing comfort of God's justice. Like, let that blow your mind. It would be, if you believe in Jesus, if you're here today and you're a Christian, it would be bad, it would not be good for God to say you're not righteous. You're righteous in his son. There's one more person I just want to talk to before we close, the skeptic. If you're here and you're a skeptic, I'm really glad you're here. Honestly, I think it's really good as a church that we have skeptics here that keep us honest, right? So you're like, hey, Craig, I hear what you're saying. But I can still do justice. I can be a good person. I can can fight for the just cause of others. I actually probably do more justice than you do. To which I want to say, like, that's good. I think it's really good that you live a life of justice, honestly. I mean, secretly behind what's, what's going on behind like, the door is I think that's the image of God in you. Like, God has made you that way and you're just leaning into that. But I want to just kind of, may I throw a rock in your shoe? Or a pebble, like a pebble. Just think about this. If we're just matter, and there's no heaven above, no hell below, we're just physical beings. We, we just happen to, our ancestors climbed out of the primordial soup and now like a, you know, a while later, here we are. There's no meaning, no God, no purpose. Where do human rights come from? Like, honestly think about that. Because there are many secular thinkers who just say, I don't know. I have no idea. So fight for justice if you're a skeptic. But be honest. We would say those are God-given. God made people in his image with certain rights. And that's why we're people of justice. Because we love good. We're shaped by what God loves. He's a good father and he wouldn't lead us down a wrong path. So I hope you see this this thing that James is trying to get us to see. He wants us to love grace, to cultivate our relationship with Jesus so that out of it, justice flows. Justice is a byproduct of a heart that loves grace. So let's be a people who love grace, who do justice in our crafts, and who walk humbly with God. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would strengthen us, Lord. Help us to be people who live out justice. That we're so grateful for your justice, that you're a good God, that we can confidently say that because of Jesus, we are accepted and loved by you. I pray that you would just stir flames today, God. I pray that people would see their calling not as something that's less godly or kind of like, oh yeah, I'm this. But Lord, I pray you'd help people to just lay hold of the gifts you've given them to be instruments of justice in this world for your glory and for the common good. I ask all these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.